Hey y'all, this is Byron. I uh, just want to put something out there. Yes, I am a mental health therapist. And yes, my couch is quite comfortable. However, if you're listening to this podcast, it is not a substitute for a therapeutic relationship with a certified or licensed mental health therapist. So though I appreciate you taking the time out to listen to me and hopefully gain some information and insight about what's going on with you from listening to this podcast, take the time to seek out mental health resources in your area if you so need to. Thanks for listening and hope you enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, and people of genders that are somewhere in between, welcome back to the Captain's Couch. I'm your host, Byron Taylor. Thank you all so, so, so much for continuing to give this thing a chance and gas me up to continue to do this. Um, shout out to everyone who has listened. Um, we had some interesting developments this week um, that you saw on Facebook because I was very overwhelmed by the news. Um, we are now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify um, for those folks who like to get their music and podcasts in one particular place. You can go search for the Captain's Couch in the podcast sections on Spotify. Um, if you are an Apple user and you say horribly mean things to people like me who use Android phones, um, you can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, which is the purple little microphone button thingy on your iPhone and search for the Captain's Couch. Um, if you are on iTunes, you can leave a five-star review. Um, as a disciple of the uh, the Black Guy with Tips and a member of House Jackson, um, the North remembers Um I will more than likely, uh, starting this episode, which I actually already haven't pulled up, will be reading off the five-star reviews, so long as they're nice, because I like positive feedback and positive reinforcement to keep doing this. So, I actually already have a couple of five-star reviews since we made it to iTunes the other day. Um, a five-star review from Little Brother 1914 I wonder who that might could be entitled Liddy, uh, you got five stars. Not because you're my older brother, but because this podcast is reeking with knowledge and insight that needs to be heard amongst the masses. That's my little brother, people. Shout out. Thanks, EJ, for the five-star review. I also got a five-star review from Stormy Weather 322 Interesting name. Um, entitled Wonderful. That says, I love listening to Byron give a voice to therapy from a black male perspective. He's do he does a wonderful job normalizing therapy, something that is much needed in the black community, especially for men. Well, 
the person who wrote this uh, five-star review entitled it wonderful and I believe this person is absolutely wonderful as well I think that you are beautiful inside and out that you are smart funny and you have impeccable taste in words so thank you so much for the five-star review lastly we have a five-star review entitled because clearly I'm gonna give myself five stars from myself I'm happy that I did this podcast five stars of course because I am that much of a troll that I would give myself five stars. you darn right I would. So, thank you so much for coming back to the Captain's Couch. Um, last week, I gave some kind of raw and vital statistics about why I felt it pertinent and important for black people to become more engaged in mental health, especially for black men as we look at socioeconomic and historical factors such as racism and discrimination, housing uh, discrimination, um, income disparity, disparity, all these things that have contributed to poor mental health in African Americans. So I felt it pertinent that these are reasons why we need to address what's going on with us as as far as therapy goes um and of course we looked at other things such as you know has poverty continues nowadays and brings forth new crime and all of these things that leads to all types of different psychological trauma and criminality and all of these things that it is a good idea for black people especially black men to work to address these issues in therapy so this week, we are going to kind of, guess what, guys? So after last week, maybe you thought about it. Maybe you pondered a little bit. So you know what? I want to go to therapy. Cool. Great. So this week, we want to begin the discussion about what you should expect when you first start going to therapy. But first, I would like to give you a few words from a very important man on your journey. So, Princeton exactly paint a great picture about therapists by calling them shrinks. But, hey, you know, it was 1984. I mean, he also didn't accurately depict what 1999 would look like when he wrote that song in 1982. But, hey, you know, he's still Prince. Still love the man. 
So, no, you're not alone. And we have often, as I think as a society, stigmatized um, therapy and mental illness, you know, and kind of shunned those people who battle mental illnesses to feel like a sense of loneliness or a sense of I am alone in this world and I have things that nobody else deals with. But that is not true at all. Like we talked about last week, mental illness is quite prevalent especially in the African-American community, and it's quite prevalent amongst African-American men. So this week, I want to talk about what you should expect when you start going to therapy. So from my perspective as a mental health professional and working with my children, so this is kind of the process that happens with uh, my pack. So... It's a little bit different than just your traditional track. And we'll talk about for adults kind of the idea of what you want to do as far as looking for a therapist. Um, and then the initial kind of process of your first session and what to expect in your first session. So with my pack, this is kind of how it goes. Um, the kids will typically be have some kind of presenting problems and behavior issues or mental health issues, depending upon what the problem is that can range from, especially with children that can range from anything from adjustment disorders, uh, depression, bipolar disorder, um, severe anxiety, uh, abuse, trauma, neglect to, um, attention deficit disorder, attention deficit hyperactive disorder, or oppositional defiant disorder, and then a few kind of in-between diagnoses, like I mentioned, adjustment disorder, uh, which is depression light in a way, or um, DM, uh, DMDD, which is a dysregulation, dysregulative mood. Wait, ah, hang on, let me look it up. I always get that one wrong because I usually just type that one out. <laughs> So I don't ever see the whole one that often of that one. Disruptive mood dysregulation disorder. That's what it is. Um, it is bipolar disorder light. Um, where we kind of notice that the kids moods are right. Like go back and forth from irritable to, you know, aggressive to hyper to sad we notice those kind of patterns, but we're not quite ready to give a bipolar diagnosis because we're not seeing like hyper, uh, I'm sorry, uh, we're not seeing manic phases yet um, in the kids. So we're more likely to diagnose them as a DMDD um, and over time rule out bipolar disorder. Um, so we'll see the kids uh, having some kind of presenting problems and they'll be referred to my program by either the outpatient provider who has been following the kid for some time and outpatient is not doing enough or not providing enough supports or uh, enough kind of resources in order to see the kids make progress or they're an outpatient and their progress starts to regress and the kids are acting out even more. So they're needing a higher level of care. Possibly they've gone to the acute hospital um, due to 
severe dangerous behavior or suicidal ideations or homicidal ideations in some cases um, and will require a higher level of care, which my pack provides because like I've said in the first episode, we give mental health resources such as therapy in the children's home and at school so that they are being seen more often than they would be seeing at outpatient. So we'll get the referrals and we'll get medical records, set up a date for admission. So admit day comes. Now, I tend to not read the medical records of my kids until really after I admit them because I kind of want to meet the kid and kind of have a fresh perspective of who they are as a person before I start to really look at them as, okay, these are the certain things that is going on with this kid, and these are the things I want to focus on. I want to hear it from their perspective, and then their medical records provide me um, a source of validation and a source of uh, clarification for what's going on with them. Um, so we'll go in, admit day, and we'll have I have a few different assessments that I have to start doing with the kid to start off. So for me, working with my children, my first two times, maybe even three times meeting my kids, we don't do a lot of quote unquote psychotherapy work. Um, they're mainly information gathering. Um, so the first session I'll come in, we'll do um, an intake as far as like things that help the kids calm down, that they enjoy doing, like they're fun activities. And this is where I start to build rapport and a relationship with these kids. So you'll see the title of this episode. This is where I start to build the trust tree with my kids. Shout out to Michael Smith and Jamel Hill, the OG His and Hers podcast. Uh, the trust tree was definitely something that I thought was hilarious the first time I heard Mike uh, say mentioned the trust tree and he would just say some crazy off the wall nonsense that he probably shouldn't have said out loud probably about you know him uh, having sex with his wife or something like that I don't know um but yeah uh the trust tree ended up becoming a a theme with uh his and hers with Mike and Jamel where they, they you know have like a better tell like embarrassing stories to each other and you know kind of at a at a place of all right, look, I'm gonna say this, but I don't need you not to clown me. So think of therapy in that way that we in the trust tree when it comes to therapy. You are building a relationship. I'm building a relate. We're gonna build a relationship with these kids, and it's a very delicate balance for me, where I'm kind of playing the role of a therapist as well as maybe a de facto parent or de facto role model for these kids or mentor, um, I have to always remind them that though I am very friendly, though we will engage in friendly activities, we will probably play, we may play video games, we may play board games, we're going to have a lot of discussions, you'll get to know me a little bit more, um, because I like to use self-disclosure a good bit um, as far as therapy goes, especially with the kids, because it helps them connect and see me as more than just, oh, he's just this adult who is trying to tell me about how bad I am or how my life is not that bad. You know, I offer a little bit of self-disclosure, not full self-disclosure, but some to help them kind of build the connection and relate and understand that, you know, 
I've had my struggles as well at times. And you're not alone at this. You can get better. It's just going to take effort. And it may take time, you know, because it took time for me. So we'll go in on, on at midday and we'll uh, do start with intake assessments and learning how to what they are into and this is oftentimes when the kids find out that I play video games so they'll ask me about what games I'll play and of course they'll be like do you play Fortnite and I'll look at them no I play real shooters I play Destiny um you know I'll get that information from them we'll get information as far as like their nutrition um make sure that there's no like eating disorders or anything like that or history of like you know neglect which the kids were have started before, which I've actually had a few different situations, a few different kids that I've had to have talks to and discuss with about eating habits because they were dealing with anxiety over going hungry. Um, we'll, you know, make a safety plan and I will assess their risk of suicide and we'll write out a preliminary action plan to basically these are the things that we kind of want to work on to start therapy. Um, but we're going to build a bigger plan later and more in depth um, in the next couple couple of weeks. So that'll be my first visit when I, you know, admit the kids. Uh, second visit, I'll get more background information on them as far as, you know, how they function throughout the day, how they're doing in school. Um, what behavior issues they may have, what mood issues they may have, um, what things make them upset, how they handle their anger. Um, and then lastly, the last assessment that I'll typically will do is their trauma checklist. And this is where I get a lot of my information from about what to work on with my kids. Um, will it addresses questions such as, you know, physical violence in the home, um, being physically abused yourself, sexually abused. Um, verbally abused, hearing arguments, um, seeing fighting, drug use. Uh, was there drug use in the home? Or have you used drugs? Um, what else? Um, exploitation. Anybody ever made you, you know, engage in sexual acts for money? Um, anybody ever touched you inappropriately? All of these things. So I get a good meat of my information from those those assessments and then I'll always ask my kids directly exactly what is it that you want to work on in therapy um, you know whether that's I want to work on my anger or I want to work on being good and my goodness gracious I can't tell you how many times I've heard these kids say that it's like oh I want to learn how to be good I'm like okay what does that mean like <laughs> you're saying that but I don't think you know what that actually means so that's one of those things where I have to kind of break down exactly what that means and what that entails. And part of that being learning to be more accountable, how to follow rules, how to actually talk to your parents, how to listen to your parents, how to listen to your teachers, um, how to be more mindful of what you're doing, put some thought and effort into the things that you're doing. Um, all of these things, you know, go into quote unquote being good, but you know, for a kid, and for a lot of my younger kids, that's all they know what it means is to, quote unquote, learn how to be good. So. I like to I tend to like to go at the pace of my kids. 
Um, one thing that I, in one of the articles that I'm going to go through today um, that it talks about is uh, this is a relationship. So it's a two-way street. You know, I can drive fast and leave my kids in the dust and I may not get very far with them or I can kind of nudge them slightly and go at a more comfortable, smoother pace with them as long as they're keeping up and be able to, you know, maintain the relationship and build forward. Um, I've had issues with some of my kids where I might have pushed too hard or too far and they, you know, didn't respond very well. I've had situations where I've pushed them just enough and it was the nudge that they need to kind of progress forward. So it's it's always a kid by kid basis and is, you know, tenue, you know, the relationship is always kind of the key when it comes to making progress and making headway based upon how much the kids can tolerate. Um and I'm always I always try to be mindful of, you know, their feelings and you know, their ability to understand what I'm trying to break down to, I'm trying to discuss with them. Um, and in time, you know, at the end of the day, what I want, what I want for them to accomplish as far as therapy goes and what they want to accomplish. Part of my job is to keep them accountable to the idea of, okay, this is what you said you wanted to work on in therapy. You need to actually work. You know, you're not putting forth effort. And one thing that I always have to remind my kids is this very simple fact is the hard work comes from you. I work hard and I do like to talk and I have all these notes that I have to type, you know, but at the end of the day, the hard work and the change that comes about in your life comes from you, not me. I'm just the push. I'm just the nudge to push you in the right direction towards that change. I am not the change itself. You are. So that's one thing I, I constantly try to remind my kids is that you are the one who will be affecting these changes and making them, whether that's in your relationship with your parents or same thing with the parents, whether it's, you know, better using time out or rewards better, not bribing your kids or not yelling at your kids or not spanking your kids all the time and wondering why your kids got problems or got issues or becoming more anxious um, and trying to change your uh, your approach to, you know, disciplining your children. Those changes come from you. You know, I just give you the ideas. I just plant the ideas in your mind or just lay them, just comfortably lay them on the table. Just, you know, what? just, you might want to use this later on. Just going to sit this right here and I'm just going to walk away. You're welcome. You know, at the end of the day, you'll be the person who will make those changes and who will put those ideas into effect in your life. So that's kind of an idea of my expectations and kind of what I prepare my kids for as far as therapy goes. So, hey, they're adult person who may be listening to this podcast, especially adult male, black guy, that guy, right. Hey, you're listening to this and you're wondering, okay, well, I'm not a kid and you're probably not going to be the person who's going to talk to me in therapy because you work with kids. 
what should I expect when I go to therapy? Well, that's interesting. I'm glad that you asked. I have articles for that. All right. First article from the Huffington, the Huffington Post. Um, going to therapy for the first time. Here's what to expect. Um, by Amanda L. Chan. This was written in 2014. Um, so the word counseling or therapy. Now, it is a very semantic kind of thing, right? Um, the words are interchangeable, you know, uh, psychotherapy, therapy, counseling. Um, they are very interchangeable words and depending upon the uh, therapist or the, the clinician's uh, licensure or certification, the word will be a little bit different, I guess. But, okay, fellas, so when you think about therapy um don't think about Sigmund Freud I'm not gonna ask you about how you wanted to have sex made you lust for your mother that that is crazy stuff um don't think about therapy as you're just laying on the couch and I'm just like mm-hmm 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 while you're just talking 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 no, don't think about it that way. Um, I do have a couch and it is comfortable. Now, if I did actually practice on my own and not work in people's homes, um, I'd probably have a nice little office set up. I'd have a couch and like a chair for me to sit in. Um, and we would just kind of talk, you know, one-on-one. You know, maybe I had like board games and stuff like that. And of course, I work with kids. So board games and those kind of things are good icebreakers for kids. Um, to help let, bring down their defenses and stuff like that. But, you know, if I were working with my fe- if I was working with another black man, um, I would get to try to get to know him a little bit. Like, you know, where you're from, you know, what kind of sport are you into sports? What kind of sports, you know, who are your team? Who's your favorite team what kind of music you listen to? Cause these are questions I actually ask my kids too. Um, cause they're always like, especially when I know the kids, play sports or watch sports, I can always use that as a good teaching tool to kind of relate things back to therapy, such especially stuff like accountability. Um, you know, I would like to, you know, I like to get you get to know you a bit more as a person before I start to kind of break down what it is exactly that brought you to therapy. Um, so the article, um, I'm going to be quoting, uh, often quoting Miss uh, Janine Bertelli, uh, Bertoli, who was a relationship expert and counselor in this article. Um, the way, I, uh, let's see. Therapy is portrayed in movies and television. The way that it is portrayed in movies and television can paint a no way that's not for me picture. But in reality, there's often, there is often a comfy couch or a chair and your therapists are not detached, distracted listeners who charge you an arm and leg for an hour of their time. No, I try. I very much try not to be a detached listener. I, I, and I'm actively engaging with my kids um, whenever I'm talking with them. You know, I very much am actively listening, and I do write notes. Um, typically on my iPad, I write notes about things that they say. Um, 
sometimes so I can reverberate it back to them so that they know that one, that they know that I'm listening and two, I can kind of flip what they're saying so that they kind of have a better way of looking at it. But also it helps me when I'm writing my notes later on that I'm giving my kids a voice in my notes that they are speaking to their experiences and I am reflecting that and when I'm writing. Um, one of the number one things that is like constantly uh, drilled into people when it comes to therapy is that people think I have to be in crisis or the intensity of the issue has to be so bad to go to therapy. That's not true. Um, and I can speak to my own experience when it came to therapy is that I didn't go immediately after my ex-wife and I separated. I went several months later um, because I just wanted to have a good idea of am I ready to try to start dating? You know, what do I need to work on? What do I need to look for? You know, in order to be more successful at dating and I'm very happy I did um you know my uh the the therapist I saw actually had me write down a list of qualities that I wanted in a partner and I think I did a really good job at finding someone who had those qualities so we'll see um now, of course, one of the driving one of the one of the points that often drive people away from therapy is the cost. And yes, it can be cost inhibitive inhibitive. Um, well, no, cost prohibitive. Yeah, prohibitive. Um, that it can price people out. And I'll do an episode one day about uh, you know pricing out, like options as far as therapy goes that may be more. Um, affordable for people, um, you know, whether that be, you know, uh, employee assistant, assistant programs or community mental health, stuff like that. Um, that'll be an episode that I'll talk about, um, in the coming, the coming weeks. Um, but I like Dr. Bertoli's perspective on this when she said this and, and like, it's like any kind of medical care. And I think seeing as I had a bunch of dental work this year. Um, it definitely rings true. Therapy is expensive, but it, it is an investment and you should be getting a return on your investment. There are other things that are expect are expensive that we do not question the finances of so much, such as hiring a good divorce attorney or a good quality dentist who can, you know, save a tooth and get a nice crown put on it. Um, things like record players or, you know, records or video games. You know, we don't necessarily think about the finances of some of the hobbies that we enjoy, but then for some people, therapy, the cost of therapy is a hangup that that will stop them from going. So, Therapists are not just people who listen to their problems. Um, I thus one of the expectations I often tell my kids is, I'm not here to I'm not here to solve your problems. I'm not here to fix your problems. I do listen to them, and like as I told one of my kids the other day, um, 
you know, I appreciate the fact that you're willing to open up and talk to me. You know, it's good that you're finally allowing yourself the opportunity to kind of let go of all of these things that you've been holding on to from, you know, your relationship with your biological mother and, you know, all of these things that you've, all these experiences that you've had that you've been running away from from all these years. It's good that you're finally letting them go and getting them out. But my question to you is, what happens when I'm gone? When therapy's over with and you have to talk to your parents, then what happens? You can't just refuse and not want to talk to them. All right, so. You want to give therapy a shot, right? So, first things first, find a therapist. So, you know, the purpose of this podcast is kind of geared towards black, uh, black men and black mental health. Um, resources like Therapy for Black Girls. There's also a website for uh, Therapy for Black Men who have directories of uh, therapists and your area that you can search for, therapists that are all over the country that are constantly joining that uh, that directory in order to, you know, seek out uh, black clients who are wanting help, who you know, and for black therapists and black, you know, black therapists, black uh, licensed social workers, we absolutely love doing this work because we want to provide a space of healing for our people. You know, this isn't more than, you know, I, and I tell my kids this all the time is I take particular pride in working with my young black kids and you know, because you all will be black men like me in the long run. And that I want to provide you all with an opportunity to learn how to grow more healthy than the environments that you find yourself in. And I want to be a good influence on you as you grow older so that when you become my age, you are more healthy, fulfilled individuals. That you're not just constant walking balls of anger. Um, that are willing and willing and ready to explode on the first person that come across or mistreat the women that come into your lives that want to love you. Um, so, yeah, you there are, of course, Google is always your friend. If you're looking for a specific issue that you want to address, whether um, the I did take a look at therapy for black men uh therapy for black men's website um i may link that in the show description um as well as probably therapy for, therapy for black girls um the podcast for one and for two uh i believe she has a uh a directory with directory as well for uh black female therapists um i believe it's going to be mostly female therapists i think there are some black male therapists in therapy for black girls but pretty certain most of them, like probably 90 percent of them will be women uh black women um the therapy for black boys uh black men's site um i did notice that there was accommodation of men and women who were ser who were on the directory to uh provide service for um for men and that's not a bad idea at all that um black women also provide service and it's not and it's not even a bad idea the bad idea the other way uh for black men to provide services for you know 
for women, um, I've had a couple, I've had a few different uh, female clients in my time that I've done considerable amount of work with. Um, like, you know, especially um, my young black girl who I just discharged and like I talked about last week, I'm very proud of. Um, we did a lot of work as far as like sexual trauma and helping her heal from that. Um, that I was very proud of that we were able to work through work together on to be able to confront what she had been struggling with. Um, so how do I find who's my best fit? So Dr. Bertoli suggests that you make a list of at least three to five potential therapists, um, depending upon where you get them from, then contact them, um, ask them the same three to five questions. They can be specific to whatever your issue is as far like it could be, you know, am I struggling with my struggling with my weight loss? I'm struggling with my anger or, you know, my relationship. And it could be something as simple as, you know, it could be something really broad, like, you know, what's your take on Black Lives Matter? Or, you know, what's your take on how my childhood may have affected my relationships right now with my girlfriend and how I'm treating her and how she's, you know, responding to me saying that I'm kind of toxic. Um, depending upon the kind of rapport that you get with the therapist and the kind of information and feedback you get from them, you know, kind of may, may narrow it down, um, narrow down exactly who your choice is going to be. So when you find a therapist, they're more than likely going to do a much shorter version of what I do. They'll probably do a 10 to 15 minute consult over the phone with you before your session. Now they may also have you fill out some paperwork. If you do choose that therapist, you, they'll have probably have some paperwork that you'll sign, you know, and kind of break down what your presenting problems are or whatever your issues are. If you've been in therapy before and you're trying a new therapist, uh, they'll ask for your consent form and sign you all over for your medical records. So they know exactly where you've made progress and what you need to continue to work on as far as therapy goes. All right. So, you chose a therapist, guys. Good job. Points for you all. I'm very proud of you. I'm not saying that facetiously. I am extremely proud of you. If you've made the leap to seek out mental health treatment, I'm extremely proud of you. Keep going, right? So, your first session is just going to be a regular therapy session. Your therapist is going to try to get a feel for you. You're going to try to get a feel for your therapist, right? So, uh, Dr. Pertoli says that some therapists do a first session by getting an assessment of the current problem. Some will do background. So they'll understand your childhood and any medical issues. Some will just listen and say, uh-huh, a lot. Um, and will be more be a more passive therapist. Some will engage with you about what's going on with you right now and get to get more in depth to it. When you go, so when you go, you'll get the default. Unless you prepare. And by prepare means that you show up to therapy with something specifically in mind that you want to get out of therapy. Yes. Bertoli says uh, prepare, quote unquote, means come in with an idea of what you want to get out of therapy. So if that thing that you want to get out of therapy is. I want to not be so angry or I want to heal from 
this thing I've been holding in for all these years that I never talked about, then bring it to the table and we'll get it started. And that's exactly what we'll talk about. If it's more broad, um, I'm not the I'm not exactly a passive therapist because I know I talk a lot as a person. I'm still a very good listener, but I do talk and I do interact a lot with my kids. Um, I definitely did have a session yesterday where I had to be a very passive, had to be more of a passive role in the conversation because the kid just kept going and going and going and going. But what he was saying was important and he needed it. He needed to get it out. And I was able to kind of knock it back at him and, you know, kind of flip it back on him. It was like, hey, you know. Why aren't you? I mean, why can't these things be true? You know, why? What's so wrong about having depression? What's so wrong about having a uh, ADHD? Um, at the end of the day, um, can you overcome these things? The answer is yes. So, you know, I, I try to not play play a more passive role, but sometimes you have to as a therapist. Um, but I'm definitely not the uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh with the pad just writing, writing, writing therapist. I am more of the actively engaging type of therapist and talking type of therapist with my kids and with the parents. I mean, I, am, I think I am a little bit more passive with the parents, largely because I think a lot of the parents that I work with don't have the expectation that they also can affect change in their kid and not just what I'm doing things that they're doing also can affect change in and the kids um so you get in therapy here's six things to expect right this is from psychology today one thing people don't really understand or or fail to kind of grasp the idea of is that going to therapy um disrupts not only their inner world but their outer world as well and when we say disrupt it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing um you will possibly see changes in your relationships and your job um and your friendships um as you're working through therapy um there's no way to really truly prepare yourself for what's gonna come out and what's to come through um the course of the therapy work that you do um you may regress in like your work or you may be more um inclined to stay at home because you're kind of working through unpackaging a lot of things that you haven't thought about or expressed out loud through therapy as you're going through your everyday life that you're still going to have some time it is going to take you to get through it. Um, so that's something to bear in mind. Um, everybody's journey in therapy is different. Some people's are shorter. Some people's are longer, especially depending upon, you know, severity. If your illnesses, if your mental health, you know, issues are more chronic, you're going to spend a lot of time in therapy as far as maintenance work. You know, if, what you experience is more uh, more acute you you'll spend a three to five maybe eight ten at the most sessions and probably be done um it just depends 
everybody's journey is going to look different. So first thing that you may experience with therapy is you may see more and deeper than you used to. Um, so when you start therapy, you know, you may talk about and open up about your fears or anxieties. Um, but this also can open the space for you to dig into your life and discover what has shaped you to become the person you are today. So if you and your therapist have a strong bond, it's possible you might end up in a long-term therapeutic relationship. And the longer you go, the more you'll be able to exercise your quote-unquote seeing beyond muscle, a skill that comes in handy after therapy's over with. You know, the thing that I always stress to my kids is you got to use these skills long after I'm gone. Um, number two, you might find yourself lost in your thoughts more frequently than before. Hell, I think even as a therapist, I'm guilty of this. Um, it's not, uh, not uncommon for you to be more reflexive, reflective or introspective into your life or what's going on around you. Um, your therapist is constantly throwing it, throwing open-ended questions at you. And it's likely going to spark your self-curiosity and your self-awareness. So think about the things that you're saying. And, and the funny thing is, like, I, I said this to this kid yesterday, and he didn't quite get it, but I just kind of laid it out there and planted the seed out there when he was talking about his life and his experiences. And he was like, why me? Why did I have to go all through, through all this? Why did I deserve, what did I ever do to deserve this? And I basically was like, well, why not you? You know, what makes what makes your life so unique and so special that you should be immune from these things because you're not the only person who has had to go through these things, you know, and a lot of these people have been able to overcome them. And I think I'm probably going to go back and talk to him more about that next week uh, when I see him, because I didn't quite get do a great job of explaining the the. The why not initially, but I think in time I was able to kind of parse it out to him but uh, I think I'm going to go back and uh, talk to him about it a little bit more um, I've seen this one here number three people resist people may resist the new version of you um, you may even you may even resist the new version of yourself as you're working through therapy um, I've definitely noticed that with one of my kids. Um, he, I think, is purposely self-sabotaged self, uh, in his progress in therapy because he doesn't want to have to change. You know, he's at a phase in life where he's not quite going to be a kid anymore and he doesn't realize that he has to work to go go through that growing change. And yeah, it is difficult, but he is very much like sabotaging his progress because he doesn't want to have to. Um, sometimes many people don't expect when starting therapy how much their relationships with other people are going to change. So think about it this way. You've spent much of your life, quote unquote, fitting in certain relationship puzzles by behaving, thinking and feeling in a predetermined way. But when someone starts therapy, all these behavior patterns get challenged. You'll grow, you'll change, you'll transform. 
I know this has affected me as I've progressed forward in the past two years that my relationship and how I fit and my my life from before, especially with my ex-wife, has definitely changed, especially now because I'm in a new relationship and I'm much happier and I'm trying to set more concrete boundaries um, that didn't exist probably when my ex-wife and I were married. Um, definitely is going to be, has been a challenge for her and has been a challenge for me. So though it might feel like a letdown, it may feel disheartening, it is important to be aware of it so that you have the patience, so you have patience with other people so that they can learn to adapt to the new version of you. However, it is not your responsibility to adapt, to make others adapt to you. That's something that they have to work on. Um, You may identify toxic and harmful patterns much more easily than before um i know that helped me out as far as preparing for dating is having a better idea of what i wanted to be what i wanted to deal with and what i would tolerate in relationships so it's no surprise that the way someone reacts and behave with others is largely because of family patterns or learned behaviors Some of us, some of those behaviors may be healthy or unhealthy, depending upon how they kind of fit with other people. So when you go to therapy, you're likely to start to identify um, unhealthy, toxic, or harmful patterns from your generational lineage and past experiences. Um, when you call them by name, and this, so this is one of those things, fellas, that. I say the idea of going to therapy is really important for you all is that it can help point out harmful and toxic patterns that we have kind of been constantly taught throughout generation after generation after generation, especially the idea that manhood has to be this constant ball of armor. Um, that shields us from feeling emotions or that we're like almost computers in a way that we are devoid of emotional responses. We're devoid of feelings of grief, of sadness, of loneliness that we try to stop ourselves from feeling those things or we project them to women and say that women are emotional creatures and that you know we as men are rational when rationality has no gender um emotionality has no gender these are normal things these are things that people in general are either better or worse at managing or being able to construct um logic does not have a gender logic is merely and simply a a a concept of a collection of thought processes and philosophical ideals that shape a person's thought processes and perceptions. Everybody has those. 
you know, but you know, we we see constantly men saying that, you know, women are irrational and that men are the, you know, the more rational species and that women are emotional, but yet I literally saw this t- uh, a couple of days ago on Twitter that some dude who did not know my friend at all jumped in her her tweet talking about, oh, well, clearly, you know, you're the irrational one or whatever. Like, you don't know this woman. I I know what this woman, I have a very good idea of what this woman has been through. And... By and large, she is still probably more psychologically put better put together than you are jumping in her 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 tweet talking about, oh, look how y'all emotional and see this is what I'm talking about. You mostly I I was like, dude, like what are you talking about? Like how 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 dare you have the idea you know, the the nerve or the the, the gall to coming to my friends oh yeah here it is i found it matter of fact um this dude put on twitter and i quote well I, midgety main wow that that is hilarious um your your uh your twitter handle sir uh midgety main uh why why do so many women on here have therapists what's wrong with therapy What's wrong with people talking about them being in therapy? Um, to which, uh, shout out to D, uh, at Brains of Buns on Twitter, because we're smarter and more emotionally intelligent than men. And by a lot of metrics, that's that's very true. Um, black women are the continuously growing, most educated demographic in the United States. Um, so this other dude pops in, Faye the villain uh okay you mean more emotionally unstable and more prone to lash out at innocence it's it states in your state it shows in your statement seek help immediately uh this is what we call projection people um i very much am going to do an episode about toxic masculinity and men lashing out because we are constantly told and conditioned that women are the emotional species that women are the emotional sex that men are more rational and yet and still i keep seeing and i mean keep seeing article after article after article after police report after police report after article and article of this man killed this woman because she refused his advances. That's lashing out, people. That is lashing out in the utmost of violent means and destroying women's lives. And yet still, you will have men like Faye the Villain and Midgety Maine, black men, try to tell us how therapy's bad and how... Black women are more ra- more irrational and more prone to lashing out at people. And yet and still, most domestic abusers are black. Most violent crimes against women are committed by... I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, that was bad. Uh, most abusers are men. 
most violent crimes committed by women are by men. So quit trying to sell this story that women are irrational and they're more emotional. You know, I, I literally responded like I'm seeing a whole lot of aggression and projection coming out of this tweet. You took the time to call a woman who you don't even know emotionally unstable. Says a lot about your need to seek treatment probably like 10 years ago or maybe now, whichever. Like I, 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 I don't have the words. I really don't. This is why I'm doing this podcast. Like fellas. This is why this tweet, this the string of tweets that I read. This is why I'm doing this. I'm very tired of seeing. And this is conversations that I'm having with my young boys now that when you get to dating age, you are not entitled to a woman's time. You're not entitled to her attention. You're not entitled to her smile. You're not entitled to anything of her. She is her own person. And if she decides to give you any of those things, Enjoy them while you have that opportunity. And when the opportunity is gone, take your behind and move on. I'm a person, I am a man who had to learn the hard way and a myriad of different ways of falling on my face. I am not entitled to a woman, no matter how quote unquote good of a guy I am, or no matter how much I want it. I'm just not. If she's into you and she wants you, cool. It'll happen. If not, leave that woman alone. God forbid, when you lash out and you get angry, you, you know, fellas, you you hit the, you ain't that fine, no way. Well, F you then, girl. Or what's worse, when I keep seeing articles of a woman denying a man his advances and him physically assaulting her or killing her that's lashing out and extreme violence and anger because you feel entitled to that woman that's not true so maybe just maybe you need to go to therapy and work to identify harmful patterns of behavior that you haven't addressed because you've been taught these things all your life that you know, we are hunters and women are our prey. Maybe just maybe you need to go to therapy and address those things. Uh, number five, you develop a more fuller emotional vocabulary. Naming your emotions is one of the most basic goals of any therapy process. It doesn't matter what type of psychotherapy you attend or what kind of therapist you have. You will undoubtedly help name your feelings. Um, the more you do this, the more extensive your emotional vocabulary grows. Um, and this is something I have to work on with, with kids is, you know, working on teaching them more words than like sad or mad or happy, you know, um, disappointed, frustrated, um, let down, agitated, annoyed, um, overjoyed, things like that, you know, kind of broaden those things. Um, to broaden those emotions and feelings that they have so they have a better idea of how to put them into words. And lastly, you might end up with more questions than answers. Um, therapy isn't going to answer every single question that you had, but it's going to help you gain the tools 
um, in order to think more critically and keep in mind that it may take you longer to get those answers. So therapy may just get you to start down the path of figuring out the things that you've been through or figuring out the feelings that you've had for years upon years that you're trying to like kind of finally work your way through. Um, as you dive into your history and identify what shaped you to become who you are today, you may soon realize that there are many more questions than answers. Some personal hypothesis may, you might never fully corroborate. It's healthy to ponder your life history has shaped who you've become today. But as you ponder and think critically, it may take you more time. So take your time. Therapy is, it's not going to be a lifelong thing, but if it can start you on the pathway of working towards building better skills and help you break down those answers along the way, then it's a good start. And it's a good catalyst to propel you forward as you work through your history and work through you know, the processes that have been damaging for you and that in the long run you want to improve on. So that's what we can learn to expect from therapy. Oh, we hit the one hour mark. So, yeah, let's go ahead and wrap up. Um, so, yeah, that's what you can expect for what you are going to start to get out of therapy. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me here on the captain's couch i went a little bit longer than i expected to, to go and uh sorry about that little rant there towards the end but i think it needed to i needed to get that out there um thank you so much for listening um hopefully next session may be a little bit shorter um we might start delving into some of the illnesses diagnoses that i'm seeing as working with children um thank you so much for joining me here on the captain's couch um you can find the podcast at the Captain's Couch page on Facebook, at Captain's Couch on Twitter. Um, you can search for the Captain's Couch on Google Podcasts, iTunes, yay, Spotify, woo! Um, a few other places, Stitcher. Um, Stitcher, there are ways to leave five-star reviews. Um, it is convoluted. I have to figure out how to explain that to y'all. Um, on Apple Podcasts, um, hit the purple button, search for the Captain's Couch, leave a five-star review on there. Um, continue to subscribe, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I'll be back next week with another topic uh, to be determined. <laughs> but thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you soon. Peace. Congregation, would you turn your text to the book about cast? Chapter 2, verse 1, the first one to feel me. Jump up and make a joyful noise, you thought cast it. Meaning, now you have a choice like that.